Lord, as we go through the story, as we continue in your story throughout the scriptures, Lord, we, we are thankful that you are teaching us important lessons, life lessons that are to be learned from these people of yours. Right now, we're in the Old Testament, and we're, we're still learning important lessons, Lord. And so we ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds to receive this truth you have for us to hear, that it would transform our lives, become more and more like Christ, more and more followers, disciples of Christ. Lord, bless us in this time as we are here to know you more. So we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. There have been many books and movies written on the theme of broken relationships, right? Oftentimes what happens is two people are in a relationship, one person doesn't think that that relationship is the best for them, so they leave the relationship, they get into another relationship, and they realize after a while that that first relationship was better. They realize what they had lost when they left that relationship. And so oftentimes they return to that first person, there is apology, there is confession, there is forgiveness, and there is restoration. Well, this theme is not new to our day and age. It is a theme that we've seen over and over again in the Old Testament, isn't it? We've seen it of God's people. God has called his people to be his followers. He has saved them from their slavery. He brought them into the promised land. They had all these great things, but they didn't appreciate what God had given them. And they think, I want a new direction. I want a, a new God. And so they leave God and then later realize the mistake they made. This is the theme we're going to pick up again this morning as we look at the, the story. We're going to talk about Hezekiah, and we're going to talk about Isaiah, and we're going to learn some important lessons that they can teach us as they're dealing with difficulty and hardship around them as they're dealing with unfaithfulness of those around them. But before we get to Hezekiah and Isaiah, we need to kind of set up the story. And the story really starts with uh, Hosea. Hosea becomes king of Israel. Now, like so many of the kings before him, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He didn't realize that as king, his job was to walk in the will of the Lord and to lead the people that he was leading into a relationship with God and to following God faithfully. He, like so many other kings, didn't see that as his role. And so he went astray. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. But even more than that, he realized that they were this small nation and the king, or that Assyria was this great power. And so he gave himself over to be the servant of the king of Assyria. Now this is unheard of for a king to become a servant of another king. If anything, he should have been the servant of God, right? He should have given himself over to the Lord. But instead he gives, him over, he gives himself over as a servant to the king of Assyria, hoping that that would protect their land and their people. And he starts to pay a tribute to the king of Assyria. Now, of course, this makes the king of Assyria happy to get this tribute. But in time, King Hosea realizes, I don't want to do this anymore. And so he stops paying tributes to the king of Assyria. 
And consequently, he is thrown into prison. And for the next three years, the king of Assyria besieges their land, the very land of God. And then after this three-year period, the people are carried off into exile to Assyria. Now, this is not just because of King Hosea's actions. It's also because the people had followed the example of King Hosea and had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And we read in 2 Kings 17, 7, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. So this is an important statement. But what is next is just as important, if not more important. So then the verse continues and says this. Read the underlined part with me who had brought them out out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Do you see what happened? They forgot what God had done for them. He had brought them out of the land of Egypt. He had taken them into the promised land. He had given them all of these wonderful things. He had blessed them. But then what happens at the end? But they left God. The evil they did was they had feared other gods. We often fail to understand and appreciate how Jesus has brought us out of the slavery of sin. The sin that so easily binds us. He has brought us us out of that slavery of sin. He has freed us from that sin and from the power of sin given us freedom, but we don't appreciate it, do we? And so all too often, because we don't appreciate it, we too walk away and we follow other gods. You know, might, might not realize that you're following another god, but anyone who's not following the god of the, of the universe, the god of all creation, if you're not following that god, if you're not walking with that god, then you are following other gods. It's just the way it works. You're either following the God of all creation or you will follow other gods. And that is all too often what happens to us. And so the prophet comes along and the prophet gives a warning. In 2 Kings 17, 13, when you see the underlying part, read it with me. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, and these are the words the prophet says, turn from your evil ways. Now, to turn from your evil ways, you have to recognize that you're walking in evil ways, don't you? Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So remember last week we talked about how God raised up prophets to tell the message of God, to speak the truth of God, to help people see their sin and to draw them away from their sin back to God. That was the prophet's role, right? To call people in their sin, call people out, to leave their sin, their evil ways, and to follow the commands of God. That was the the work of a prophet. And really the reason why prophets were, were brought up is because the kings weren't doing their job. The kings were supposed to be doing that job. But because the kings didn't fulfill that role, God brought out prophets and seers to speak the word, to speak the truth, to tell people about their sin, and then call them out of that sin. You know, when we come to church, when we read the scriptures, when we're talking as Christian brothers and sisters, we should be called out of our sin, right? 
We should be convicted by the word of God, the truth that comes into our, our lives. We should lovingly, if we see sin in another person, we should lovingly say to them, you need to, to turn from your evil ways and you need to turn to God. Now that's not easy to hear, is it? We don't want to be called out in our sin. We don't want to even admit that we are sinful so many times. But that is needed. The word of God convicts us. But when the word of God doesn't convict us, then God brings about people into our lives to call us out. So we're told that God used every prophet and every seer to speak his message, to turn from their evil ways. And as we talked about before, what were the evil ways? They feared other gods instead of God. They feared, or they walked by the ways of other gods instead of the true God. See, these gods had not brought them out of Egypt. These gods had not taken them into the promised land. These gods had not provided for them for all that they needed. These gods had not set them up to be the people that God had created them to be. And they had forgotten the good thing they had in the Lord, and they turned away from God. The people would not listen. They were lost in their sin. Their eyes were focused on their sinful living and not on God and God's ways. And that happens so often when we get into our sin, where our, our eyes are not on God. Our eyes are not on God's ways. Our, our eyes are on that which we think will satisfy us. Our eyes on that which we think is better, that, that we have something better, that the world has something better than God does. And our eyes are focused on that instead of on what God has for us. And we find ourselves lost, as Greg was talking about before, lost and not knowing where you need to go, needing someone to say, this is the way, this is the direction you need to be going. Remember, in the beginning, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, what was the first commandment that he gave them? You shall have no other gods before me. That is paramount. That is primary to our faith, to remembering that we should have no other gods before me. We need to understand that we in our nature are created to worship. And when we don't worship God, we will worship something. And that something that we worship becomes our God. But God says straight out, you shall have no other gods before me. So God, angry at his people, gave them over to their sin and the consequences of their sin. And the consequence is that without God's protection, without God's help, God says, fine, you don't need me, you don't want me, you don't think that uh, you need my presence and my power in your life, fine, I will step away. And without God's protection, what ends up happening is they get exiled to Assyria. They get taken over by another country. And in time, they give in to the gods of Assyria, and start following them. Yet it is important that as you read the story, as you look at the scriptures, the wonderful truth that is always there is that there's always this remnant. The remnant is those faithful followers that continue to believe and that continue to follow God and continue to walk in God's ways even when those around them are not. Sound familiar in our world? How many in our world are not walking with God, are not following God, are not thinking that God's ways are the most important ways, that coming to church, that, 
that reading the Bible, that being in that deep and wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ is important? How many live in that place? How many walk in a way different from what God would have them walk? And we, in the middle of this, we are the remnant, right? The remnant stays faithful when those around us are not. It reminds me of uh, when we sent Tyler off to college. Any of you have uh, children and, and sent your children off to college? It's kind of a scary time, isn't it? They've been in your house. You've been training them and leading them and teaching them. And, and you've had some influence in their life, right? And you know that all of a sudden they're going to go to college and you're not going to be there anymore. You're not going to be able to influence them. They're not going to come home at the end of the day, and you're not going to be able to process that day with them, right? Those influences that are all around them. You're not going to help shape who are their friends, right? And so we send Tyler off, and we're like, okay, we hope we did a good job training him and preparing him and, and, and getting him ready. And Tyler made two very good decisions um, as he entered college. The first decision was that he made sure that he had two Christian roommates. Two Christian roommates. Which was really key because he talked about how the three of them were the only Christians on their whole floor. And in fact, the room right next to him, one of the guys got kicked out of the dorm and the school because of excessive drinking. Right next to him. That was going on. And the second thing he did that was really good is he, he uh, joined Campus Crusade for Christ, which they just call Crew. Now, SLO has uh, San Luis Obispo. They have the, the, probably the strongest Campus Crusade for Christ in the nation. There's 1,000 students in Crew. Really powerful. And he, right away, he got involved in a, uh, a small group. In fact, their small group met in their room. And even better, his, uh, his group leader surfed. <laughs> And so he regularly went surfing with his group leader, which allowed him to spend extra time with this Christian leader, right? And so you see how in the midst, I mean, they were this remnant, three people in the midst of a whole floor. They were the only Christians. How difficult that must have been to walk in their faith while all around them were not. That's the challenge we face, isn't it? In the workplace, in our neighborhood, when we go out to restaurants and movies and whatever, our family oftentimes as well, we are the remnant trying to be faithful in the midst of all those around us not being faithful. A good summary comes from Psalm 73, verses 27-28. Again, read the underlined part with, with me. The psalm says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. What a great mantra this is for the, the remnant, right? For the faithful. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. You ever feel like... After you've been out in the world for a day, you come home and that's kind of like, ah, my refuge, my place of sanctuary. Or you've been the whole week, you've been beaten up by the world, right? And you come to church and you're like, ah, my refuge, my place of fellowship and strengthening. 
and uplifting in the Lord. This is the place we come to draw near to God and to keep us focused on what we should be knowing and believing and living. And so speaking of the remnant that stays faithful, um, what great works for us to follow as we hear these words, right? As we hear these words of how we should be the remnant. So then comes along Hezekiah. Hezekiah becomes the king of Judah. Now again, Judah is this small remnant in all of God's people, right? Most of the other people have gone astray. But King Hezekiah is, becomes king of Judah, this small remnant. And Hezekiah is faithful to God. One of the few kings in the scriptures, as you read through the scriptures, you'll see that Hezekiah is one of the few. There's not very many. Very, very small few of kings that are leading God's people that stays, stays faithful to God and has made God his refuge. Hezekiah tells the people of God's works and God's ways, and because of his example and because of his words that he speaks, you know, that we have influence on others, don't we? When we speak words into those who we have influence, we help them to stay faithful. So you might want to think for yourself, who do I have, whose life do I have influence in? Whose life do I make impact in? We all have somebody whose life we impact. We can be like Hezekiah, even though we're not a king, and we can speak these words of truth into these people's lives, and hopefully there's people speaking words of truth into our life, and we keep that remnant faithful. And Hezekiah removes the other gods. He cuts down the images. And because of that, we're told that Hezekiah and his people prosper in the Lord. Now, you can only imagine how the king of Assyria is responding to this, right? He is not happy with King Hezekiah. And so he sends his army to destroy King Hezekiah. But before he goes into battle, he says, maybe I can just scare him, scare his army, and maybe I can cause him to surrender out of fear. And so in the book of Isaiah, there's a couple of long uh, passages that talk about Sennacherib, who is a, a military officer of the king of Assyria, Sennacherib comes, and he starts to talk to Hezekiah. He starts to talk to the people. He comes in the name of the great king of Assyria, and he questions Hezekiah, where does your loyalty lie? Of course, Hezekiah says, my loyalty lies with the Lord. Mm, that's a mistake, he says, right? That's a mistake. You know, look at the other nations around you. They trusted in their gods, but what happened to them, right? Isaiah 36.10, Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? So, not only is he saying, look at the other nations, but he's saying, you know what? He's going to try a little trickery here, okay? See what he's saying? He says, the Lord has told me, the Lord has said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. You know, the Lord, your God, he told me to come and destroy your land. He wants you to be Faithful to the king of Assyria. He wants you to, you know, come over and be with us. So he's trying all these ways. He's trying fear. He's trying trickery. He's trying to get them to turn from their God, as he did so many others, right? All the other tribes of Israel. 
get them to turn. And so he's using trickery to do this. Then he sends his messengers to the armies, and he says to them in verse 36, 18, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you. Hmm, I couldn't get Hezekiah to turn, so maybe I can get the people to turn. You know, if I can get a good amount of the people to turn, then Hezekiah has no one to fight for him, and so therefore he's lost, right? We don't even have to fight the war. So he says to them, Why are you letting Hezekiah mislead you? The Lord will deliver us, Hezekiah is saying to you. Why are you believing that? Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Look around you. Every nation trusted in their God, and every nation fell to the king of Assyria. Their gods weren't able to protect them. What makes you think your God will protect you? And you can see the people are like, oh no, that's true, isn't it? Right? Doesn't that happen in our world? We hear this truth, right? And all these people start to believe it. Or we hear this, this, this teaching, and it starts to create fear in us, right? And out of our fear, we're like, oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should follow this, right? Have you ever noticed that one of the most uh, powerful uh, commercials or the kinds of commercials that get you afraid, like, right? What if you die tomorrow? Do you have enough insurance? We have insurance that can help support the insurance you have so that you make sure that you get all the care you need, right? And so people get fearful. Oh, no, I don't have enough insurance. And so they get this other insurance, right, that they don't need. It happens all the time in the world. And this is what Sennacherib is trying to do. So Hezekiah finds himself not just in a battle against Assyria. He finds himself in a battle with his people trying to keep them believing that God is the one true God and that trusting in him and continuing to be that faithful remnant is really the way that they need to be, they need to live, right? And so what's amazing here is in his concern, in his fear, if you will, Hezekiah goes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, Isaiah's a prophet, Isaiah, I need you to pray. Pray, we need prayer. Prayer is when it's going to keep us strong. Prayer is when it's going to keep God's presence and power working in our life. And Isaiah says, of course, I'll pray. But Hezekiah prays as well. And here's his prayer. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord. Listen to me, Lord, please. I'm feeling desperate here, right? And here. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. He's, he's here. He's mocking you, God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands, right? They've, laid all, they've done all this damage to all the nations, and they want to do it to us as well, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Lord, if you answer, all the nations around will know that you're not like all the other gods who are not real. They were just made-up gods. They will know that you are the one true God that we can believe in and that all should believe in. 
See, we too would do well. Anytime you find yourself in confusion, in concern, in hardship, in trial, in fear, anytime you find yourself in that situation, what should you do? Your first thing you should do is pray. I loved how the kids were so, so taken by you and Grace. I mean, they didn't even want to listen to me. They were like, what are they doing over there? Right? But they're praying. Let them pray, okay? We're going to talk over here. They're going to pray. We should always, our first response should be to pray. And not just pray alone. We should be, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? I need people to pray. Lord, Lord, hear the prayers of our church, right? You know, our church prays all the time, right? Every Tuesday night, we have prayer. First Saturday of every, of every month, we have prayer, right? We have, we have prayer meetings. We pray, what, several times throughout the, the service, right? We pray at the end of the service. There's always people willing to pray with us. We need to pray with each other. If you're talking with someone and they're like, oh, I'm really going through the trial, let's pray. <laughs> and just start praying. You know, have you ever done that? Have you ever tried that? You just start praying with someone. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's pray. <laughs> it's amazing. It's powerful. It's wonderful because prayer is powerful and prayer does work. And Hezekiah here goes to the Lord and he prays for victory because the prayer for victory is first and foremost for the purpose of God's kingdom to reign to be lifted up, and for people around to know that God is the one true God. We know that when God is with us, he will give us a sign, a word, a, a testimony, some kind of occurrence that we are no, not alone. If you're aware of it, after you pray, something will happen that will, the God will let you know, I'm with you, I heard you, we're, we're going to make this happen. When you pray and God is ready to respond, he will give us some kind of event, some kind of a word, some kind of an occurrence, some kind of, of happening that will let you know that God is with you and at work. And this happens to Hezekiah because God gives Isaiah a message to give to Hezekiah, to let Hezekiah know that God has heard him. The message the Lord gives to Hezekiah is that Sennacherib's battle is not against Hezekiah. It's against God. It is not Hezekiah that's being mocked. It's God who's being mocked. It's not Hezekiah's temples who have been broken down. It's God's temples who have been broken down. It's not God's trees, or not Hezekiah's trees that have been cut down. It's God's trees that have been cut down. It's God's water that Sennacherib and his army are drinking from. And so God says, this is my battle, and I will take care of it, and you will see victory, because you have called on me, and I am with you. Remember, those who didn't follow God, God said, fine, I'll step back. You go ahead. Let's see what happens. And what happened? They got carried off to Syria, right? Hezekiah prays, asks for God's presence, and God says, yes, I'm with you. We will find victory. See the difference? If you walk by yourself and say, God, I'll call on you when I need you. God says, fine. Let's see what happens when I'm not with you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, life is so hard. Life is so challenging. What are all these trials? Why is all these things happening? Why is my life not going the way I wanted it to, right? God says, hello. It's because you forsake me. Come back to me. 
I will walk with you. Your power, my power will be with you. I will empower you. I will guide you. I will watch over you. Do you want that or not? It's your choice. We should choose God. And we do that when we pray. And then we're told, uh, Hezekiah has given this charge, verses 33 to 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. Basically saying, you know what? They are on your doorstep and they're ready to battle you, but you know what? They're not even going to shoot an arrow. This battle is not going to happen. I'm going to take care of it before they even respond to you. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. God, being always faithful in his promises, sends an angel into the Assyrian camp and kills 185,000 soldiers. And when they wake up and they see all these dead soldiers, Sinatra hightails it out of there. They turn and run. They don't even engage Hezekiah and his army. And the battle is won before it has even started. Why? Because God fought the battle for them, and he gave them the victory he promised. Now, one more thing I want to just cover, and that is uh, this whole chapter, uh, story, chapter 16, also is about Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, it can seem as if Isaiah is a lesser character in the story, but Isaiah is not a lesser character. In fact, Isaiah started to become a prophet. He was a prophet 25 years before King Hezekiah even started his reign. And so Isaiah was a very important person in God's story. And if you know the story of Isaiah at all, you know that Isaiah was reluctant to take up the call, right? Why? He says, God, I can't do this. I am a sinner. I have sinned. My lips cannot speak your words. I won't know what to say. I'm a sinner. And God says, I can handle that. I can take care of that for you. And so he sends an angel, and the angel is called a seraphim. There's cherubim or angels. Seraphim are also angels. In this particular case, God sends the seraphim, and the seraphim says to him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow, what a statement. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know what? If you just look around, you will see the glory of God if you have eyes to see, right? If you have God in your heart, you look around and you see that the whole earth is full of God's glory. You will be blessed just by the glory. Have you ever stood in like a magnificent Grand Canyon or something like that and you stand in awe, right, at the nature that is around you. God's glory is there. The whole earth is full of God's glory, if we only would see. Isaiah is humbled by this display. He acknowledges himself in his unclean lips. The seraphim touches a coal to his lips. I can't imagine that, right? Coal to his lips. And the angel says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. So you see the process there? We have a similar process, right? We have even a better process. We admit our sinfulness. We call out to God. We say, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be your servant. 
God says, that's okay, I'm calling you and I'll enable you. I'll empower you. And you know what? I sent my son, he's died on the cross for you. He'll take, a, take away your sins. Your sins will be atoned for, you'll be cleansed. And I will pour my righteousness into your life and I will lift you up and you will be my servant. Why? Because you have faithfully humbled yourself before me and you are following me. And I will empower you and I will gift you and I will make you capable of doing what I call you to do. And the voice comes to Isaiah and says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And by that point, Isaiah, who's been touched by the angel, is like, oh, 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 me, 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 right? At that point, he was ready to go. He had been touched by the very Spirit of God. Oh, send me, Lord, send me. And then he's given this charge. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Kind of a, a roundabout way of saying, do you, is, that how, is that where you want to stay? Do you want to stay with blinded eyes and ears that don't hear? Do you want to... Do you want to stay in that place where you do not see and you do not understand? Or do you want to come to me, come back to me, and, and have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand? Which, which do you want to be? Where do you want to be? And hopefully we're like, oh, I want to see and hear and understand. God says, return to me. That was Isaiah's role. Isaiah's role was to call out to the people in their sin and said, in your sin, your eyes cannot see and your ears cannot hear and your hearts can understand. But if you return to me, then you will be in that place where you will see and hear and understand. It's really a daily challenge, isn't it? Every day we're challenged. Are we going to put ourselves in that place, in God's presence, where we can see and hear and understand? If you're ever feeling distant from God, it's not God who has moved. It is you who has moved. And all you need to do is turn back to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Bring me back into your presence. Help me to see. Help me to hear. Help me to understand. Help me to have a life of purpose and meaning and fruitfulness. And I guarantee you, by the end of that day, when you look back on your day, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, you will see how the Lord has used you in that day. Really, that simple. Each time God gives us a call, He gives us a call and enables us to do what He wants us to do. He'll gift us in a way for that call. You know, sometimes, you know, if you read in the First Corinthians thirteen, uh, talks about the gifts that God has for us. Sometimes God gives us a gift for a particular moment and for a particular time. You might say to yourself, you know, I used to have this gift, but I, I don't really feel like I'm using that gift anymore. Why? Because maybe God gave you that gift just for that time, for that ministry, for that opportunity. And then he led you into a different direction, and now he gave you a new gift. God gifts you and enables you and empowers you to do what he calls you to do when you walk faithfully with him. You have a call. Do you know your call? And if you know your call, are you living out your call? Do you know that you have a call in this church? 
Some of you say, yeah, I know my call, and I, I'm using my gifts. Some of you are like, well, I'm not really using the gifts I feel like God has given me. And I, and I challenge you, wow, then find a ministry. Start a ministry that's going to use that gift. And if you don't know your call, if you don't know your giftedness, come see me. I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to, to help you discover it. I'd love to help get you involved. Because as we get involved, the more that get involved in this church, the more powerful this church is, the more powerful this ministry is to our community and for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there's a challenging task at hand, right? Hezekiah had a challenging task. He was the king of a small remnant against a, a great power of Assyria. But with prayer and with faithfulness and with trust in the Lord, he saw God be victorious. Isaiah had a great task at hand, didn't he? He was a prophet in the midst of a great amount of people who were living in sin, and his call was to bring them out of that sin. But with God's help, he made a big impact in bringing people back to the Lord. Isaiah's prophecies end um, promising a suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming to lifting us up into the very presence of God and ultimately promising us that we will walk with God and live with God for all eternity. That is God's promise to us. The ultimate victory is God. Ultimate victory is God's. So we live in a time that brings us a challenging task, right? Our nation is lost in sin. And our challenge is that we are the remnant in the midst of the unfaithfulness all around us. If we call on God, if we trust in God, if we seek God in prayer, and we ask God to use us, then we will see ourselves and we will see our church impact our world for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Whom shall I send? I hope we all will say, Oh, oh, here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray.